Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Ackeson Podcast. Today, an academic but fascinating look at the government censorship efforts, how they've blossomed with the invention of the internet, and what could become of all of us now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Today's interview is with Anupam Chander, a law professor at Georgetown University. Let's get right to it. I have taught internet law for 20 years, so I've seen all the companies rise and some fall uh, during this time. From I, I taught about MySpace a long time ago, uh, and so I've uh, followed all the big speech platforms as they developed over the last few decades. Is there a way to synopsize to bring us to today what's happened in the last 20 years in terms of trends? Sure. So the internet was invented as a tool that allowed individuals to put up a website. Uh, So in the worldwide web version of it uh, in the early 90s, a tool to to allow you to put up your own website. Uh, So everyone would have his or her own website. Uh, Now, of course, what happened is that people didn't really want to go finding all these other websites. So then we came up with search tools. So first Yahoo, Alta Vista, uh, then, of course, Google, uh, which turned out to be the smartest search engine that had uh, been produced. Uh, Then it turned out that we didn't just want to do search. We wanted stuff sent to us. Uh, We wanted... uh, We wanted the computer to predict what things we might be interested in. Uh, And so we moved away from individual blogs to having a web page on a social media platform like Twitter or Facebook or YouTube uh, or Ubo or Discord, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And that would go out to our network. Uh, And so what what we saw was the creation of kind of social networks that allowed us to connect very quickly with people who might be interested in what we're saying. Can you mark a period in time in which you think you saw more attempts to control, to moderate, to influence on these platforms versus just giving people information? To me, I feel like in the early years, it was probably done in ways that were less transparent, but just not as widespread as now. It's very overt in terms of what some would call censorship or shaping of information. That is certainly true. Early on, Twitter said, for example, we are the free speech wing of the free speech party. Uh, And so they claim to be uh, nonpartisan, but really of their own party that believed in speech and embraced speech. Uh, And so a very broad view of what speech should be permitted. Facebook always was much more closed. They said we're much more uh, inclined to curate. And this followed along more the America Online model, if you'll recall, early on. So actually, we had a very closed space early on, America Online. And basically, in order to offer up a 
node on the America, uh, page on the America Online service, you had to seek permission from America Online. So we've been to that closed environment. We wanted more of an open environment, but then we've moved again to wanting somewhat open and somewhat closed, uh, I think is what we're seeing. Is there a way, before we get to disinformation in the government, is there a way that content could be moderated sort of as an opt-in for people who want heavy moderation, but for the people who really want their information raw and unfiltered, they could get it that way? So some people have suggested, and Francis Fukuyama at Stanford is one of the leading scholars thinking about this, uh, something called middleware, uh, which is rather than having... Twitter or Facebook or Discord or Reddit doing their algorithms uh, that select stuff for you to see, um, you can borrow an algorithm produced by a third party and stick it in, into the system as the, as the kind of middle intermediary, um, the content down below and you at the top, so that you choose the algorithm that filters information for you. Uh, so, for example, I have 1,500 friends on Facebook. I don't want to see everyone's, uh, you, know, pay, you know, posts all the time. <laughs> the meals they ate last night or whatever. Yeah, the meals they ate. That, and so Facebook has kind of figured out, this the person, these are the people that, uh, you know, Anupam really interacts with the most and really cares about the most. And therefore, you know, he probably wants to see more of these people. Um, and so, and this leads, this is good for Facebook because it leads me to come to the site and stay longer, which is what they want because they sell advertising to me and the more ads I see, the more money they make, right? It's a very simple business model. It's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, and so others have suggested, well, instead of Mark Zuckerberg writing the algorithm that shows you the stuff from all your 1,500 friends, let me, let you know, Anupam choose a different algorithm provided by a third party. Um, and so this is a very interesting possibility, uh, and so it would lead to lots of different uh, views of what the content would be, and some would be very open, you know, anything goes, and some might be very much, you know, don't show me anything shocking or controversial or political even. Where were you, if you remember, when you first heard that the federal government, the Biden administration, had made a hasty decision to start a new federal agency that was going to supposedly go after disinformation in the name of national security? So I was sitting on my computer, which is what I always do, and le I learned about it via Twitter, which is, which is uh, my norm. Uh, I was at home, as it turns out. Um, and, uh, of course... Uh, I was a little surprised uh, at the framing of this effort. Can you elaborate? Sure. Uh, so disinformation is a term that governments should use very carefully. Uh, and yoking that together with disinformation governance and a board um, had, of course, uh, as many people noted, Orwellian uh, 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 nature to it. Um, and so this was not the best framing for anything that they were attempting. Let's just briefly reference for the people who, I don't think they have to read 1984 in school anymore necessarily, 
This was a book written by George Orwell that foretold a time in the distant future during which the government, not through the Internet because it wasn't invented back then, but through the, which the government would control all information and down to telling people what to think, making history change, making information disappear if they didn't like it. Right. So this is a book, as you've just said, published in 1949, uh, by, written by George Orwell. Um, he was worried about the Soviet Union and the rise of totalitarianism. Uh, he realized that the government's control over information was a way to, uh, to control our thoughts. Uh, and so that was the ultimate goal of the governments, to control the information we had and thereby to control our thoughts and thereby extend their longevity uh, as, as much as possible. Yeah. Did you read the creation of the federal agency under the Biden administration as a fairly direct response to Elon Musk announcing he would buy Twitter? No. So I think it's an interesting question of what came first or second. I don't, not, I don't, I don't remember the timeline exactly. I think this was something that they have long been concerned about. And so disinformation is something that the Biden administration has, has long, you know, uh, uh, worried about. Of course, the Trump administration described it as fake news. So every administration has some version of their concerns about what they believe are false information being circulated. Um, is there a role in America for the government to play as an official body that moderates Suppose a disinformation because it's not hard to observe that under every administration they've put out what could, you know, easily be characterized as disinformation. So who are they to determine what others can say and think? So I think that's right. I think that governments should not be telling us what information we, we should be allowed to hear, what, uh, what information others should be allowed to convey to us. Um, there can be things that are illegal, and there are various standards for illegality uh, and speech, and I think those are, you know, so the governments can bar things that, you know, uh, that have the immediate impact of uh, likely harming people. I think that's, that's, a, that's a clear standard. Uh, but the government should not, be, uh, should not be telling us to stop saying things or to say things, either way, to censor or to compel. Uh, I do think the government itself can say what it wants. The government can have its views and put those out in, in the world. I think that's okay. Uh, but I don't think the government should be telling the private sector, newspapers or Internet platforms, large or small, what they can or can't say. Is there a legitimate national security concern when it comes to disinformation, and here I wouldn't be referring to sort of the political tit-for-tat differences of opinion, but more something that we should be concerned about. Yeah, this was a, a proposal, uh, this was an idea that was going to be situated with, within the Department of Homeland Defense. So this was very much a national security-oriented board. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that national security, national security can be the the flag of national security can itself be abused. Uh, and so I wouldn't want to wrap everything around national security and say, you know, this, is, this gives the government the right to control what information is uh, allowed. Uh, I, think that, I think many people are properly alarmed about that. So I think that, that there is a role in national security to be concerned about efforts to give, bring us 
disinformation about our elections, uh, say, for example, say the elections are uh, occurring on, uh, you know, on Wednesday as opposed to Tuesday or so, something along those lines. I think there's a reason for the government to monitor the efforts to, uh, to, uh, to influence our elections from abroad. Uh, it's, it, this is a concerted activity going on. We know that many governments across the world are engaged in disinformation campaigns uh, across the world uh, as a way to promote their own political interests. Uh, and so I do think there is a role for the government to monitor what's happening uh, and to say, look, this is what's going on. Let us share information about this, uh, this foreign government that, it is, that is doing this particular activity. Uh, so just like the Biden administration, before the run-up to the uh, 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 Russian invasion of uh, Ukraine, said, here, our intelligence services are signaling that the Russians are coming in to, are going to invade Ukraine. They should, the, it is perfectly appropriate for the Biden administration or any administration to say the Russians, the Chinese, whatever group you want to say, um, are trying to influence our election in this way. Do you, since this is your area of scholarly study and focus, or an area, do you have sources with the administration? Have you been able to talk to somebody and say, what were you thinking, and what now with that board they tried to create? So I wish that I had sources that, I, that had spoken with me about this. Uh, I have spoken with folks in the State Department subsequently. Um, I avoided raising this issue, you know, because I'm sure it's a sensitive issue with, with the, uh, the, this, with it. So the State Department has now stood up as, as different, uh, as a cyber information bureau that they are, they're trying to coordinate activities. Uh, so there is a State Department act, action as well. I do wish that the Department of Homeland Security had, uh, talked with more scholars, um, before they had, uh, it gone down this route. Because I do think, as I said before, there is a perfectly legitimate concern for the Department of Homeland Security. I want the Department of Homeland Security to tell us, hey, look, we're having this big effort to, uh, to influence our election or to do something that is harmful to the American people. Uh, I think that is a perfectly reasonable thing for the government to do. It is not reasonable for them to tell us what we can or cannot say. Now, let me just make, sh make it clear. When these criticisms came out, the Department of Homeland Sec Security said, this is just an advisory body. This isn't supposed to actually do anything. This is supposed to advise others. I think the, there were some people who were still concerned about the structure of it, the transparency, uh, and so... Um, and, the, and as I said, the framing of the exercise. Uh, so I think it's perfectly legitimate uh, for them to be advising us that there are these information attacks occurring. Um, and I think I want the Department of Homeland Security to be monitoring this. Um, but I don't want them to be... The use of the word governance was the, probably the worst part of it, uh, to be governing what information is permitted or not. Much more after a short break.
Introducing Whipped Seafoam Body Butter by Sirene Cosmetics. Hi, I'm Star, owner of the Lemonade Mermaid. Enriched with the nourishing powers of cocoa butter, mango butter, and shea butter, our body butter whisks you away to a world of deep hydration. Experience the essence of the sea with every application as this whipped delight leaves your skin refreshed, replenished, and ready to conquer the day. Visit thelemonademermaid.com and make your skin sing with the magic of the sea. your comment on the basic landscape that has developed where people, many people on whatever side they come from, don't trust a lot of what's coming out from whomever. So maybe the government says something is false, but people don't trust what the government says. Public health agencies want to tell you something's false. The media wants to tell you that. There's always chunks of the public that aren't going to believe that. Where does that leave us today in terms of information? I think this is all, uh, we're in a in an environment where individuals have access to more information than they've, than they've ever had. Um, but it also allows them to pick and choose information that might be false. At the same time, it allows them to question the government. It allows them to question the conventional wisdom, pr- uh, the media. It allows them to question professors like me. Um, and I think that kind of questioning is perfectly good uh, and we should have debate in society, and we should we should uh, be able to uh, to to talk with each other, to disagree with each other in a, in 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 hopefully in rational discourse. Uh, but we should also uh, not have the government telling us what can or cannot be said uh, on the internet. Uh, I think that's where the problems arise. Um, that. And we saw this, uh, as I said, uh, with the Texas law that basically was trying to say, no, you must carry all these voices. Um, and the, the Internet companies say, no, we actually don't want some voices on our system. Um, and we're not like the phone system. So the Texas says an Internet platform is just like the fo- telephone the telephone company can't say, oh, you're, you know, you're saying this or that, and therefore we're going to disconnect your, your dial tone. Um, the Internet companies say, no, we're not like the telephone companies Just at all. Just a carrier. Yeah, we're, we're not a common carrier. We are, in fact, we've always very much curated what is allowed on our systems. Um, and so the history of, of these Internet uh, bulletin board systems, you know, long time ago, before uh, there was the World Wide Web and there was just an Internet, there were bulletin board systems that people would use. And even these were often curated, uh, and there were lots of disputes that would arise as to what was allowed to be said or not on these bulletin boards. I know there will be developments in this case, but can you give the simple explanation as to the Texas law and where we stand with that today? Sure. So Texas passed a law that essentially said that Internet platforms, large Internet platforms, are essentially common carriers. They have to carry all the speech that's legal, anything that's legal, largely. Uh, And they can't discriminate against... um, speech that, for example, is hate speech or, or what they define as hate speech, et cetera, right? It sounds uh, good on its surface to me, right. but it's maybe so, not that simple. It's, so the problem with that is that these companies 
are all private actors. And you're essentially telling a private actor that you have to carry this, this material. Um, and so really at this point, we want to be cautious about the government telling any company, this is what you must carry. And this has been an issue for uh, uh, Republicans as well as Democrats. We don't want the government, whichever government it is, saying what you must or, or m cannot carry. And so I think that's the, that's the uh, difficulty in this, in this context. We don't want the government to, uh, to compel private actors to allow everything to be said, um, even if it's legal. Why? Because these companies themselves are, have free speech rights. And so they have the right to say, we're not going to say this because we think this is, you know, so for example, vaccine disinformation is a, a common feature of this. A lot of people say, you know, well, you can, if you take this particular drug, it'll stop COVID or COVID is not a problem, uh, et cetera. And the companies don't want to be carrying vaccine disinformation or say, for example, bullying speech, which isn't illegal. They say, we don't want to be carrying this kind of bullying speech. And so all the time they are removing speech that they believe is going to be harmful to society. You may dis one may disagree with their particular choices, but the fact is that there are multiple options out there. So if you don't like uh, Facebook, you can go to Discord. If you don't like Discord, you can go to Parler. If you don't like Parler, you can go to Gab, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Is there any um, impact on this idea? Because the Supreme Court has now said that law cannot be enforced, right, currently? Yes. What if the companies get government benefits or take from the government? Does that put them in a different position where the government has the right? And don't all the companies get something, either tax benefit or have some connection from the government? Uh, so the, the Internet companies haven't received money in the same way that some private actors have received, say, universities, etc., um, and so they aren't getting subsidized in the same way. Uh, what's, so, yeah. What's your view on members of Congress that have written, called, and lobbied technical companies or big tech firms to make certain decisions? Is that an interference that makes you uncomfortable, or you think that's all right? It's a good question. It makes me uncomfortable. Um, so I do think it's fine to ask companies, what are your practices, and to try to get more uh, to, to try to, to, try to uh, get more transparency. I do think that is sensible. And I do think at times, for example, we haven't heard from, co from companies like Telegram, which are a huge uh, source of uh, organizing out there today. Uh, so I don't think it's wrong for the government, uh, for the House of Representatives or the Senate to say... Uh, to call in Mr. Zuckerberg to come testify before Congress and s explain to us what's happening. I think those kinds of uh, moments are important and useful, and I think the companies uh, should show up and, and, and tell us what they're doing and be subjected to e even some criticism, uh, you know, that they aren't doing enough to make sure that people aren't having bad body image or, um, or that, you know, there's vaccine disinformation that's readily available or something along those lines. 
Along the continuum of what will be, I mean, we're still pretty early in terms of social media invention. I mean, it could be said, because you and I remember a time not that long ago when this was all such a novelty. But what do you predict for the near-term future? Are we at a changing point where things will look, you think, dramatically different in just a couple of years? Or is it just a slow sort of evolution? What, what are your predictions on that? Well, I don't, it's very hard to predict the Internet. It's very hard to know how things uh, change. Um, when MySpace was big, everyone thought MySpace was going to be the future of the Internet. When AOL seemed unbeatable, when uh, I grew up in a time when AOL would send us CDs in the, uh, you know, bi-weekly in the mail, hoping that mm -hmm. we would log in. Uh, so things change very quickly on the Internet. And we may soon be, you know, engaging with the Internet, which is all around us. Um, and so our, the Internet of the future is going to be not through screens as much as through the objects that we are uh, interacting with. Uh, and so it will feel very different. We'll be talking and listening much more. Uh, and so the choices, I think it is going to be a place where we will have choice, um, and so there are choices. So if you saw recently the, uh, the uh, uh, killer in uh, Texas uh, w used a social media platform called Yubo, uh, and that has apparently a very popular platform among younger people, a platform I had never heard of until after this event, uh, and that platform is based in France, it turns out. Uh, and so there are lots of... And my, my daughter uses social, another social media platform that uh, I don't want to publicize, but you know, but uh, but you know, which is has become popular with students at her college. Uh, and so I think we're going to see a lot of diversity and choices um, among what people are, what kind of media people are consuming, um, and that does mean that everyone will be learning something different. We don't have the anchor of Walter Cronkite every evening at 6.30 p.m. with a shared experience um, uh, that, is, that anchors the, the country. Um, that's bad because it doesn't have a single reference point, but information also, it also allows for a much more uh, diverse information ecosystem that you know, allows for people both on the right and the left to share a lot more information that was ever possible than Walter Cronkite would have ever told us. Anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I'm still optimistic. I think that, you know, we're, we're, we're I am not a doomsdayer, uh, doomsayer about this. I think we, uh, we really uh, are still learning um, and we're still growing. And I think when I look at my children, uh, and their sophistication about the Internet, um, uh, they know that if they see it on the Internet, it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. <laughs> um, they can, they can uh, do some fact-checking of their own. Um, I think that's the, a lot of this has to be about what we as a society uh, do and not um, what we legislate uh, us people to think. Um, I think it's what we have to become more informed citizens. And I think that's going to be the way that we respond to, to all this. I'll have a lot more on this important topic on my TV program, Full Measure, 
the first program of the new year, January 7th on Sunday. To find out a station where you can watch Full Measure, go to CherylAckeson.com and click the Full Measure tab. You'll see a list of stations and times, or anytime you can just go to fullmeasure.news and watch online when the program feeds on Sundays at about 9.31 a.m., 9.31 or 9.32. I notice it doesn't start right at 9.30. 9.31 or 9.32 a.m. Eastern Time at fullmeasure.news, and then we post replays thereafter starting on Sunday, maybe around noon. And I hope you will check out my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours. If you like these podcasts and the topics that we talk about, I hope you'll leave a great review and share it with your friends. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. In this age of a highly controlled media landscape, it's never been more important to fight the heavy hand of censorship and support truly independent journalism. Go to CherylAxon.com and click on the store tab for a great way to do that. There are all kinds of fun and functional products designed specifically for independent and free thinkers like you, featuring slogans like, I tested positive for critical thinking, and I need to find some new conspiracy theories, all my old ones came true. Proceeds support independent journalism causes like the Ion Awards for off-narrative accurate reporting. Go to CherylAckeson.com and click the store tab today. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that if you did, you'll leave us a great review, subscribe, and share it with your friends. Check out my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours. And now you can support independent journalism causes by visiting CherylAckeson.com and clicking on the store tab. There are some thought-provoking and fun products designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers like you, such as products with the slogan, I need to find some new conspiracy theories. All my old ones came true. Proceeds benefit independent reporting causes. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.